choral leader, singer, teacher, composer and now author Olivia Sparkle will be joining me very shortly but first I wanted to bring you my review of her book A Young Person's Guide to Vocal Health Simply looking at the book just reminds me of the Jacqueline Wilson novels that used to dominate my childhood bookshelves or those teen sitcoms that I'd watch after school on Nickelodeon, Big Up Sister Sister and Sabrina the Teenage Witch. The cover is bold and colourful but the animation doesn't stop there. Illustrations by David Walsby, who just so happens to be Olivia's father, are peppered throughout the book and each page is fresh, bright and attractive, an inviting read for its targeted young audience. Although it initially makes me reminiscent of the 90s, the information provided is current and educated, organised in short chapters with particular words colour-coded throughout to reference the likes of anatomy, hormones and even unhealthy behaviours. And its punching, opening sentence encompasses its overall message, your voice matters. Topics discussed include what the voice is and how it works, the importance of the warm-up and cool-down routines, vocal exercises and examples including those for breathing for singing, finding a smooth onset and releasing muscle tensions, hydration, maintaining vocal health and the impacts of diet, the potential impacts of allergies and medications, performance anxiety, the adolescent changing voice, the impacts of bad habits, and considering the effects of air conditioning, central heating and the Lombard effect. One particular feature I really like is the My Voice Matters flowchart at the beginning of the book, which I believe will help to prompt young singers to ask the most appropriate questions about their own vocal experiences, as well as guiding them to the most relevant chapters of the book. With all that, you would think that this would be a hefty chunker of a book, but it's not. It's in fact very simple and extremely short with only 44 pages. It makes for a quick read, no longer than an hour or the length of a large cup of tea. The information is appropriately shared in bulleted tips, little hints or short explanations, rather like a pinboard in a teen's bedroom, rather than reams of detailed paragraphs with advanced terminology that might well have just led to confusion. However, there is a reference of further reading included if the reader is interested in delving a little bit deeper into any of the topics. A Young Person's Guide to Vocal Health by Olivia Sparkle is part of the My Voice Matters series, which aims to provide readable books for young people who want to maximise the full potential of their voice. It's all about prevention and makes a good sister book to Stephen King's and Lydia Hart's Help, I've Got a Voice Problem, a great resource to get the young singer to consider their voice more broadly. One to display in your waiting room or studio, I reckon. So, without further ado, let's get chatting to the author. Olivia Sparkle, welcome to the Singing Teachers Talk podcast and congratulations on the publication of your book, A Young Person's Guide to Vocal Health. Can you share with us first, before we delve into the book, a little bit about your backstory and how we can understand how you came to be a singer and a composer and a ranger and now an author. It's lovely to meet you, Alexa. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, yes, so I've been working as a, um, a secondary school teacher and as a, a choir director for over 20 years. And I came to realise um, over my time that there were lots of questions that children had 
about their voices and about singing in general. And over the years, I started realizing that the same questions were coming up time and time again. Um, and then a few years ago, when I was taking part in an MA in, in voice pedagogy, I started to think, well, this is probably an area that I could research and started to make a note of the questions that I was being asked. And that was really why this whole thing came about in the first place. What was the catalyst for you writing a book in particular and, and not something like a YouTube film or making a poster? Yeah, so I, I did actually start off um, thinking that I might just produce worksheets and then perhaps that evolved into a booklet. Uh, and then it's something that grew and grew. Uh, and actually, it was during lockdown, the, the summer holiday of lockdown, um, where there wasn't really anything else to do, that I thought that what I had created probably could evolve into an actual book that would have perhaps a bit more longevity um, and be something that teachers and students and choir directors could get hold of and then have on their shelves or or have in their in their teaching rooms as a aid memoir and also as a um, uh, uh, something to consult. Your book relates certain things to the life of the young person. For example, there are quotes from young people included. And in the chapter on hydration, you talk about taking a drink at break times and lunch times or, or finishing 500 millilitres before your first lesson. Why did you want to talk to young singers in particular? Yeah, so that's very much been my world. Um, ever since qualifying as a secondary school teacher. Uh, and I had a little look around what was available. And there are books on vocal health aimed at adults and books on singing in general aimed at adults, but there just wasn't really anything aimed at young people written for young people to read. And I just felt that that was something that was missing and something that would be well received. So you're absolutely right. I asked the young people themselves to say what they thought a book of this nature should contain and 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 in that through that process i i received quotes from ideas from them and in fact several were really generous with their time and got involved in the actual creation of the book uh, because they they really felt passionately that this is something that could represent them so i've been i'm very lucky to have that opportunity in academia we call we call it action research so that opportunity to actually research uh, with with the students themselves, and then hopefully produce a book that that children everywhere will really find useful and helpful. Mm. Out of those people that you were speaking to as part of your active research, what was the main thing that was coming up for them in terms of their own vocal health and vocal questions? Yes, it's really interesting, actually. So the question I, I had been asked over and over again, really before the book was even conceived, was um, for help. Uh, because I think children never really think about their voices until something goes wrong. And it was often perhaps on the day of the concert or leading up to the concert um, or performance or, or, or singing exam that, that children would perhaps find something was wrong with their voices. Maybe they weren't singing their best. Or, or, or they weren't they weren't sure why why it wasn't sounding as good as it normally does, or they typically had a sore throat um, or hoarseness, and that was when they would come to me as their their teacher or as their choir director or as um, the person organising the concert and say, 
well say you know help me what 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 can I do and and often it's it's a little bit late at that stage on the on the day of the concert to be giving this sort of advice which is I think why the book focuses so much on prevention uh and 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 and, and good habits mm. As you say, this has been your world. You've worked with young people for a long time. You've been a secondary school music teacher for 24 years. What did you learn about young people in that time, the way they learn, the way they think, what their world encompasses that helped to inform the way this book was going to be created? Yeah, it's a really good question, because what I learned is less is more when it comes to this age group, um, particularly with some of the younger children, but also really with, I think, with all all, all of the children and young people that I was working with. Um, and a lot of what I was doing um, in the process was paring down and trying to reduce pages to the bare minimum each time and use graphics as well to to to, to speak for me. And, and the other thing that was really interesting, and I hadn't really realised how important this was until the children started getting involved, was the use of colour and to use different colours to mean different aspects of vocal health. And they really encouraged me with this. I would never have come up with the idea myself, I don't think. And the, the, the children were, were most emphatic that I should use different colours to represent different aspects of the book, which was really very helpful. And it's gone down really well. Um, with everyone who has given me feedback. Yeah, it's a really great idea to pop that colour coding in there so that even when you're through chapters towards the end of the book, you're still referencing anatomical landmarks or something to do with hydration or cool downs. So yeah, I can see why that would be really helpful to the young person reading it. Voice is so vast. There's so many details that we could include. And as you say, this wasn't going to be an encyclopedia of vocal health. It just wouldn't have attracted your target audience. So how did you decide what information you put in and how much detail you were going to include? Yes, it was a tricky one because I was trying to write for quite a wide age range. Um, so I was thinking about what sort of child would need a book like this. And it really ranged from sort of primary school age children up. So, you know, we know there's lots of children um, in this country who are choristers in cathedrals and churches um, and they sing a lot and they would really benefit from knowing about vocal health. And then there's lots of children in their teenage years who sing in choirs and in bands, and they need to know about it too. And then there are those who, at the end of their time at school, think about going on to do a music-related degree or, or further training. Um, so perhaps off to conservatoire or music college, and they need to know about looking after their voice. So it was really thinking about a book that would appeal from sort of age eight or nine all the way up to sort of 18 plus um, and try to be careful with the language so that it wasn't patronising or condescending, just easy to understand. Um, and that's why I use those post-it notes to, to give um, little definitions of words, which I knew some of my younger children might not know. And that's why there's a glossary as well. So you can look up things in the back. And then as far as what to leave out, well, it was really shaped by asking a whole load of, of young people what they thought the book should contain. So asking them what they wanted to know about looking after their voice. And I tried to answer all of their questions. Um, and some of their questions were questions that I hadn't even personally considered or, or realised might come up. 
So it was very much about listening to the children and hearing their questions and making a note of their questions over a reasonable period of time and then making sure that I, I answered them all. And then there were a few extra things as well. So my publisher thought it would be a good idea to include a section on anatomy, which I hadn't originally intended to include, but I can absolutely see why that is so useful. Um, and so we worked together to make sure that, that was as simplified as it could be while still being truthful. Yes, and it certainly isn't overwhelming, even as a, a new teacher who mm. may be brand new to this information as well. Actually, that wouldn't be overwhelming for them to to kind of stick a toe in the water to start with, if, if you like. What level of prior vocal understanding or experience of singing do you think a reader needs before they get the most out of your book? It's an interesting question. I think most people who would read it or even think to open it would probably already be doing some sort of singing um, or potentially acting um, or maybe just in their young life have found that their voice doesn't seem right or feels different or sounds different from others. So I think there could be a variety of motivations for, for, for getting hold of the book in the first place. Um, but I, I envisage that the majority are going to be singing uh, either just singing in you know, primary school choir or church choir um, or, or for, for, for older children, um, perhaps in, in a youth choir um, or having singing lessons. I mean, I, a lot of the children that, that read the book I've heard are, are, are those who are having singing lessons. So they're already a little bit interested in, in that um, or they might be um, young actors uh, or or involved in a sort of um, stage group or or that that sort of I mean there's quite quite a lot of children who are involved in mm -hmm. um, you know some musical theatre and dance and that that yeah and anything sort of arts performing arts related I guess mm. where are they finding access to the book are they are they going through a library or have their teachers introduced it to them has it been through social media. Yes, there have been a few social media posts, but we're really in the early days at the moment. Um, it's only been published um, a few weeks and I think it's not quite as widely available yet as I hope it's going to be. Um, I know my publisher's working on that and I do know that it is available internationally. So I've come across some readers in Australia, which is really exciting. Um, and someone's been in touch with me from Australia, which is lovely. Um, the Royal School of Church Music in Australia has, in fact, wanted to review a copy for their magazine um, and also in America as well. And someone bought a copy in India recently and then got in touch to tell me, which is rather lovely. So so it's 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 available internationally and it's being purchased internationally. But but UK wise, um, at the moment, it's available directly from the publisher, which is great. Um, I have a few copies, so I'm more than happy to people get people to get in touch with me via social media and I'll pop it in the post um and really recently only a couple of weeks ago um banks music publications which is a wonderful music um shop that that specializes in mail order of all sorts of of, of sheet music they now have copies too and I know plenty of people have been buying from them which is really helpful because you can buy your sheet music and you can buy a few copies of the book at the same time which I think is brilliant yeah what have been some of the responses that you've had from readers so far? 
It's been so lovely. Um, some of them have been completely unsolicited. People have just got in touch with me who I don't know uh, via via various social media channels just to say, got the book, think it's brilliant, congratulations. But I think it's really lovely. Um, a few people have just got in touch to offer reviews, which has been fantastic. And I've used some of their quotes in some of my social media posts as well. And I know that my publisher has been sending out copies to some of the, the national magazines and that they've been in touch asking for copies as well. So I hope in the next six months or so that there'll be some reviews. Um, and then I think that will hopefully appeal to a, a wide audience because more people will know that the book exists. Um, and I'd love I'd love it to be in primary school and secondary school libraries. I think that would be great. And I'd love singing teachers to get hold of a few copies as well so that we can just spread the word a bit more. Yeah. Definitely. You've spoken about um, the research process, a little bit about the active research that you did. What other research did you have to do to create the content? And what was one of your favourite resources or people that you came across or interviewed? Yeah, so I mentioned that I, I, I began this process. So as part of my MA in voice pedagogy with Voice Study Centre, um, which is affiliated to University of Wales, Trinity St. David, who together are a brilliant team who just support those of us who are really interested in doing further research on the voice just superbly. And they have fantastic tutors um, and, and links to some amazing um, lecturers, again, worldwide, which is really fantastic. So that's been great. Um, now, those lecturers... Um, and professionals write research papers and so I get to read those and I did a lot of research um, reading papers that have been written over the last 20 years or so actually of various different aspects of, of voice health, some to do with children and some just generic as well. Um, and I was careful to make sure that I got hold of all the books that have been written on this subject, most of them written um, with an adult audience in mind, but there are a few that are sort of aimed at a younger audience as well, perhaps at a student age. So, you know, it's really important, I think, to do your research properly when you're writing something like this. Much more reading and much more writing than, than ended up going into the book. And then particular areas that came up where the children were asking me questions and I didn't have any expertise, I then had to sort of set out to research that area in particular. So there's there's some really interesting things. I, I didn't really realise about the chlorine um, in swimming pools um, being drying and and how it's important to make sure you hydrate after swimming. I was kind of aware that, you know, you kind of felt thirsty after swimming, but I sort of assumed that was because of the exercise and it didn't really occur to me that that was, that was a thing, but it's a thing. Um, and yeah, so, so some, of the, some of those areas became, um, you know, were really interesting to research and I became much more aware of, of some of the issues and mm. also some of the, the issues to do with, um, if you are um, taking part in sports, uh, safe ways of, of using your voice um, in sports. And there's a particular author, um, Ginevra Williams, who's written a book about teaching singing to young people, where she covers that in particular. And I I, I found that very useful. Um, I also looked into some, some um, papers on sports science as well, separately to that. So I felt that I really had well-researched every area before I put... So in other words, the book is based on peer-reviewed research, um, which is really, really important. You know, particularly with my academic hat on, I felt that was an important aspect to cover. Yeah, we're a big fan of Ginevra Williams here as well. And yes, actually, when I was reading about the swimming, that was a piece of information that was new to me. Um, 
I hadn't had any experience with it, but that's probably because I only can do about one lap <laughs> and then I'm out. To be honest, <laughs> on these podcasts, I'm I'm presenting myself as a very unfit <laughs> person. Oh. Can't do shot put, which was in our conversation with Duncan Rock. Swimming, no. So yeah, I do exercise people. It's okay. <laughs> uh, the process of creating a book or, or a piece of content is very different for each individual, whether that's writing first thing in the morning or becoming nocturnal and writing in the dead of night. What was the writing process like for you? The writing process was somewhat different from the research process. So lots and lots of reading um, at, at random times of the day, really, probably late at night, actually, to be honest with you. And then the writing took part in that long school summer holiday when we were in lockdown and there was limited opportunities for us to do anything. There was very little culture available, so we couldn't go to... I love going to the theatre. Uh, I love seeing musicals. I love going to the proms in the summer. All of that was was off limits. Um, there just weren't the, the, the normal um, um, entertainment available. We could go for walks, which is great. But apart from that, I had a lot of time on my hands that I dedicated to the writing aspect um, of the book. And it does take a long time. You're absolutely right. Uh, and you do need to to dedicate time. But that that year was a year where I had much more time available to me than perhaps any other year of my life. So sort of forced lockdown enabled me to create that book. And it's rather wonderful that something creative came out of that very uncreative time nationally. Definitely. And I guess with that, you didn't have to carve out special focused time for the book. You could get to it in the morning and know that you didn't really have much else to interrupt you. Yes, that's right. Um, but something it, it's quite intense, I think, working on a book like that. Um, just because I'm not writing perhaps in my normal academic style, I'm con con continually trying to simplify and find as few words as possible to get the, the clear message across. So I think that aspect of it was quite tiring. Um, and it meant that short bursts were a really good way of tackling it. And I was, you you, you will have seen each chapter is really short. Mm -hmm. So it was quite nice to work on a chapter at a time. Um, and sometimes I was just paring down. And sometimes I was thinking, you know, what graphic was going to represent this particular concept the best so to have the fewest possible words. So it was sort of fits and starts was a, a really, a really good way, actually, of, of putting that together. I can imagine that's quite a helpful task in terms of really melting everything down to its most key ideas or, or key aspects of the point. And that could actually help us in explaining something to another person or a young person or a singer that we're working with just to get the fundamentals in um, and not worry about the the essays and the other pages of books that you've read but really just focus in and home in on, in on the point that we're making. Yes and I hope that teachers will feel that the same and that they'll use various pages of the book and, and use some of the, the diagrams to explain concepts to children. Uh, and I tried to make it as visual as possible. So the warm up is just set out in a little flow chart and you know, go through these four stages. Um, and the same with the cool down. There's a little little diagram there to sort of, yeah, hopefully it's something that people will refer back to over and over again. It's not just a book that you read once, then put on the shelf. It's something that you can continually refer to. Yeah. And speaking of the illustrations, they were done by your dad. 
how is that working with him? Yes, I know. Well, we don't live near each other. So it was all done by um, telephone conversation and post. Um, and he he spent time as an architect. Um, so he has um, really great technical drawing ability. And it was really important to me to find an illustrator who understood the crucial nature of the technical drawings. So he was a great choice from, from that point of view. I mean, very convenient to have one's father helping. Yeah. But it was it was very much because of the technical drawings. I wanted someone who understood that I needed the anatomy to be just so. Um, and that when you know, when drawing people, I wanted to have the the the, the, um, the proportions and the diagrams to be exactly right. Other people use illustrations differently. And there are lots of fantastic books with fun illustrations, which I think are great. But from the point of view of this book, it was very much sort of the infographic um, and the technical drawing that was really key to to my 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 concept. So he was a, a great person to use. It was the first time he's got involved in this side of of drawing, but he was he was up for it, which was great. And yeah, we went backwards and forwards a few times by post. And 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 he came um he came down when 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 lockdown lifted, and we spent some time together in the house just going through some of the drawings. But yeah, and, and it, the nice thing was uh, I could really ask him for anything, and he he'd be up for it and give it a go. So I felt that that I wasn't confined by um an illustrator's own ideas. I was allowed to effectively say exactly what I wanted and. He was very obliging. Yeah, you had daughter dad points. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> so how long did it take from the moment you decided to write the book to having the completed thing in your hands? Two years. Um, it was a, a long process, partly because we were constricted by some of the lockdown issues. Um, and it just meant that some of the aspects of publishing didn't go as fast um, as I had hoped they might. Um, and there were some problems along the way, um, some delays along the way. Um, and yeah, actually, no, perhaps more than two years now, I think, on it. Yeah, I think it might even have been longer than that mm. um, for, for for various things to be sorted out. So the typesetting um, and then the jacket design, all of these things take time and different people uh, get involved in different parts of the construction of the book and it seems to be done in different countries as well so mm. I learned a lot about book publishing along the way. Yeah and did your dad do the cover design as well? No that was someone entirely separate that my publisher already had a relationship with uh, and right. and he, he he took charge of that which is great because you know um, one really needs the the publishing professional to get that right. Mm. So how was the process in in getting a publisher? Um, surprisingly easy. I think I was very, very lucky that as it happens, Compton Publishing were uh, their specialists in my area, which is really great um, because I, I did research how you get a publisher and it looked pretty stressful. <laughs> Yeah. How how you know we've all read the stories about Harry Potter got published after the sort of fiftieth publisher turned it down, haven't we? And um and so I, I was sort of under the impression that I probably might have to approach many many different publishing houses and have lots of rejections. But I started with Compton Publishing just because I knew that they published the sort of books that that I was writing. And partly the reason I knew that is that my bookshelves are full of books that they've published because I was using their books as references to to to, to what I was writing. So 
it, it was one of those circumstances where it just happened to be the right book for the right publisher. And even though they don't specialize in children's books, they do specialize in um, technical books about the voice. And uh, it, it's good for me to align myself with with that particular niche publishing house. So I was very lucky. Um, it was it was almost an instant yes, which was really great. And I was absolutely thrilled. And I suppose that really gave me the impetus to get on with it and get it finished and, and get it published. So mm. I was very lucky there. Mm. I've always thought if I wrote a book, who would I trust as my beta readers? So who did you give that to when it was the first little emblem of something? Yeah, well, it comes back to the children themselves. So each of the chapters was looked at by a, a cross-section of children, a, a cross-section of ages of children, ranging from age 10 up to age 18. And they had the opportunity to give me feedback, which was just you know, incredibly useful uh, and, and really exciting for them, I think, to be involved um, and just brilliant for me. And I wouldn't do it any other way. I think if you're writing a book for children, you just have to get feedback um, from from your target audience. I think if I was going to give one piece of advice to authors, I'd say get feedback from your target audience because I think that's that's the key to success with this sort of book. What other advice would you give to the voice teacher who would really like to write a book themselves on one of their particular expert topics? You've already said get answers or get feedback from your target audience. What else would you say to them? In order to be credible, I think you really do have to make sure that you are an expert in the area. Um, and I worked really hard to make sure that I felt confident that I had read everything I could possibly read. Um, and that did involve an exhaustive trawl through many, many articles written in many journals and just making sure that I really did understand the scope of the, the the world of 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 children's vocal health out there, um, and loads and loads and loads. I mean, I said of ninety nine percent of that didn't even get anywhere near the book, but I did feel that I was empowered to write through that acquired knowledge. Um, so I think that's important, and yes, certainly you know journal articles are really important, um, and and other books that have been written on the subject as well. I mean, from the point of view of other books, you don't really want to be repeating what other people have said. So it's certainly worth doing some research and making sure that you've acquired or at least looked at um, other books from the from your from your area. Um, but then if there's nothing else and if you think it's going to be useful, go for it. I mean, it's it's really worthwhile. Um, and I would say that the children's market isn't overcrowded, um, and there's certainly scope. I would say there for. For, for books about various well in fact, in fact um my book is supposed to be the first in a series as it happens yes. so i'm quite excited about the future um my publisher has very kindly suggested that i might like to write another book or two um quite soon perhaps and we'll look at what might we'll do some research and look at what might be the best the best area the, be, the best topic to to cover next i've got a few ideas but i'll have to decide what's going to be the most the one that has the most burning um, reasons for for choosing it. So yes, the future. <laughs> because this is going to be part of the My Voice Matters series. That's right. right. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. what are you currently thinking is making the list of maybes in terms of topic? Mm, gosh, there are so many 
possible directions in which I can go. Um, and my publisher and I have had a few conversations already. Um, and I've got a few, I've got a few drafts kicking around. Nothing's ready quite yet because we're going to spend the rest of this year promoting this book and, mm -hmm. and hopefully getting some sales. But yes, next year, um, I shall be getting on with, with the next book in the series. Uh, and, um, Hopefully it will be really helpful and really useful and just cover another area um, of of singing that's relevant to children and young people. Um, although some people have some people who've read the book have come back and said, we need one for older people. So <laughs> I'll have to see whether that whether we also go in that direction as well. So the, yeah. I definitely have to have those conversations with my publisher before I get going. Yeah. And is dad going to be rehired? Yes, why not? Yeah. <laughs> he was very biddable last time. <laughs> <laughs> You're about to delve back into research mode then. So where do you go for your research papers? Yes, so um, I'm lucky that my um, I'm alumni of, of various universities and they allow access to their libraries and JSTOR is a great place to start. Um, lots of papers there. Um, I also belong to various different um, online journal links, uh, and I'm lucky enough to be able to access journals that way, which is really fantastic. Um, I mean, journals really are the sort of gold standard of of places, the, the places to start. But I'm also keeping my ear to the ground as to what books are being published um, at the moment on, 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 on the topics in which I'm interested, because you know, it's definitely worth keeping up with recent publications. Well, we wish you all the very best with that project. But for now, where can we purchase a copy of A Young Person's Guide to Vocal Health? And how much is it going to cost us? Yes, so it's £10. Um, and plus um, postage and packing from whoever you happen to have it supplied by, um, you can go directly to the publisher, comptonpublishing.co.uk. I'm sure the address will be in the links. Um, there's also banks, music publications who will send that out to you um, along with any sheet music that you wish to purchase. And they're brilliant and have been fantastically helpful. Um, and I'm lucky, actually, that Banks Music Publications published me as a composer as well. So it's a nice. lovely relationship to have there. Or if you'd like to get in touch with me via social media, I do have a box of books and I'm very happy to pop one in the post for you. So that's the best place for now. Um, and I think in due course, it will come, it will become more widely available. Great. And just remind us of where we can get in touch with you for, for that. Oh, well, um, find me on social media. I'm on um, LinkedIn, um, all the usual areas, Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, at Olivia Sparkle, at all those places, you'll find me. Well, for now, Olivia Sparkle, thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure, Alexa. It was lovely speaking with you. If you're enjoying the Singing Teachers Talk podcast, and who are we kidding? Of course you are. Share the love by giving us a ahem, five star rating and leaving a comment. Just head to the Singing Teachers Talk main page on the Apple podcast app and scroll to the bottom to click write a review.